Hi everyone, and welcome to a special Remembrance Day themed episode of the Archives Guy podcast. Episode 4, May Their Memory Liveth Forevermore. This is the second themed episode after last episode's Halloween uh, themed episode, and it might be the last themed episode uh, for a little bit as I'm planning to uh, some more specific topics for the next few episodes. I hope you enjoyed that one as it was a lot of fun to uh, put together. This time out, we're going to take a little bit more of a serious tone as we deal with Remembrance Day and the military history of Cambridge. This episode will focus mainly on the First and Second World Wars. Obviously, this is not the only period of military history in our area. There's also the War of 1812, the 1837 Rebellion, the Boer Wars, Korea, Afghanistan. I'll eventually do a follow-up on these conflicts, as they are deserving of being recognized as well, and they're generally not as well documented as the World Wars, obviously. So stay tuned for that in the future. Cambridge and its predecessor communities have a long and proud history, dating back to the Upper Canada Rebellion of 1837, and with uh, connections even to the War of 1812. You'll remember in a previous episode we discussed how Galt founder William Dixon took part in the War of 1812, eventually coming in uh, after a coming into possession of the land that became Galt. Later, in 1866, the 29th Waterloo Battalion um, of Infantry was formed. Jim Quantrell's excellent local history book, A Part of Our Past, notes that this is the regiment's, um, uh, today, uh, the Highland Fusiliers of Canada trace their roots to. The battalion was divided into three separate units, one of which was based in Galt. It was later reorganized in 1900 and again in 1915 as the 29th Regiment Highland Light Infantry of Canada. This regiment contributed men to the 34th Battalion Canadian Expeditionary Force, specifically the 111th Battalion, that was uh, unofficially called the 111 Battalion, and all of its officers uh, were from South Waterloo, which included Galt, Preston, Hespler, and Blair, among other places. This regiment trained in Galt at a site where Queen Square um, Idea Exchange Library sits today, and the officers were based out of Knox Presbyterian Church. It's worth noting that the 111th uh, Battalion never fought together as a unit during the First World War, but was dispersed among other units and fought in significant battles such as Vimy, Ypres, and the Somme. While our area had numerous brave soldiers fight and die during the First World War, There are three men um, associated with the local area I'd like to highlight for you. Captain George Fraser Kerr, Lieutenant Samuel Lewis Honey, and Sergeant Frederick um, Hobson. Jim Quantrell's book describes the men and their actions that earned them the highest military award in the British Empire, the Victoria Cross. George Fraser Kerr was raised in Galt and attended GCI. He was honored with the Victoria Cross for his actions at the Battle of uh, Borlawn Wood, where he single-handedly captured four German artillery guns and 31 prisoners. He would survive the war and uh, sadly died in uh, 1929 um, uh, at a young age of, I believe, 34. Kerr Street is named in part for him. Lieutenant Lewis was the only member of the Highland Light Infantry to win the Victoria Cross. Keep in mind that local soldiers fought in various different regiments, um, uh, throughout the, uh, the the military. He also won the Victoria Cross for his actions at Borlawn Woods in September 1918, where he captured a machine gun uh, emplacements and took 20 prisoners. He took charge along with his men and uh, fought off numerous German counterattacks, even though he was severely injured in both legs. 
continued to lead his men until he passed out from a loss of blood and uh, due to his wounds. Um, he would um, later uh, die from his injuries. Honey Street in Galt is named uh, in his memory. Sergeant Hobson worked for the city of Galt before going overseas to fight. He was denied the opportunity at first due to his health, but eventually served in the, with the 20th Battalion based in Toronto. He died in 1917 defending a gun in place that single-handedly held back the enemy with only a bayonet and clubbed rifle. Hobson Street is named in part for him. The First World War claimed the lives of 348 soldiers from Galt, Preston, and Hespler. It was a long and bloody war, as everyone knows, with the armistice um, being signed on November 11, 1918. This date was commemorated as Armistice Day in the British Empire for many years, and uh, now commemorated, obviously, as Remembrance Day. After the war, cities, towns, and villages across Canada began erecting war memorials to the fallen. Each area had its own cenotaph. Since Cambridge is made up of Galt, Preston, and Hespler, it has three amazing cenotaphs honoring its war dead. Memorials in our, began, uh, our area began in the early 1920s with a monument erected by the Lodge Royal Oak No. 26 Sons of England's in Mountview Cemetery. Another was placed in the Hem Hesbler Cemetery by the Rose of England Lodge No. 277. In 1926, the first cenotaph was erected in Preston in front of Central Park. It is inscribed with the names of Preston's fall in various wars. It depicts a soldier with his arms outstretched and the words, Their names liveth evermore. It's a beautiful memorial to the fall. Another cenotaph was erected in 1930 in Galt's Queen Square. It was described by the sculptor um, as depicting a heroic figure of victory on one side and a mourning figure of peace on the other. It's quite large and stunning and a majestic monument. It has the names of the fallen of both world wars as well. A separate memorial uh, in the same area honors those uh, killed in action um, serving Canada since 1953. In 1947, Hesper erected its own cenotaph, a simple and elegant memorial that stands today in front of the old town hall inscribed with the words, To Our Glorious Dead, which is a common uh, inscription on many cenotaphs. Hesper also has an amazing tradition of uh, having banners uh, along the streets honoring different veterans uh, throughout the core of Hesper. Each year, center, uh, ceremonies are held um, honoring the fallen soldiers in our area. Sadly, in 2020, with COVID-19, we won't be able to have the traditional ceremonies, but I highly recommend you check each one of the ceremonies out when they resume, hopefully in 2021. Next, we're going to move on to the Second World War and the local regiment, the Highland Light Infantry, and their experiences from D-Day to the end of the war, and even before they saw combat. The story is familiar to most. September 1st, 1939, the Second World War begins with the German invasion of Poland. Britain and France declare war on Germany on September 3rd. Once again, Canadians would be called upon to defend king and country. This time, however... The world would not see the enthusiasm that existed upon the outbreak of the First World War. The horrors of trench warfare saw to that. This time, men and women would reluctantly heed the call of duty to fight the menace of fascism. The early years of the war saw the Allies brought to the brink of defeat, with the Nazis occupying most of Europe. Locally, the local regiment, the Highland Line Infantry of Canada, received orders to mobilize on May 31, 1940. 
The unit was completely mobilized by June 27th. Galt was a main area where men from around southwestern Ontario flocked to join the war effort. They trained in Stratford until January 1941 before moving on to Quebec City and later to Nova Scotia before making the trip across the ocean to England in July. They took part in the defense of the British Isles as France had fallen by this point and the Battle of Britain was raging. Once the threat of invasion to Britain had passed, the HLI continued to train for the eventual mission to liberate continental Europe from the Nazi war machine. The Great and Noble Crusade came in June of 1944 with the Normandy invasion. There are countless books written about the D-Day invasion, but this week for my book recommendations, I'm going to highlight three. First is the Highlight Infantry War Diaries. These are entries that give you a day-to-day -day activities of the unit. You won't find detailed harrowing tales in these diaries, but they do give you an idea of what happened daily to the regiment. The next book to check out is simply called The Highland Light Infantry of Canada, 1940-1945. It was published by the HLI in 1951. Finally, a personal favourite of mine is Bloody Baron, which details the Battle of Normandy from the landings through the intense battle on the 8th and 9th of July uh, of 1944 in the town of Baron to the end of the war and beyond. It features quotes from the men who fought and some incredible stories um, of their experiences during the war. The HLI took part in the Juneau Beach landings in the Canadian sector um, on D-Day. They saw some of the most intense and bloody fighting of the entire Normandy campaign, with the HLI fighting to take the town of Biron, like I said, on July 8, 1944. The HLI fought against some of the best trained and most fanatically loyal Nazi soldiers in the 25th SS Panzer Grenadier Regiment. These enemy soldiers were told to fight or die, either shot by the Allies if they were captured, or by their own if they retreated. The whole line of Hitler saying, don't give an inch of uh, territory, no retreat. Baron would be the most difficult battle for the HLI, and they finally succeeded in taking the town after a day of intense fighting and massive casualties. A memorial was dedicated to the HLI and Baron on July 21st, 1969. After Baron, the HLI fought in many of the toughest battles of the Western Front of the War. They fought to help liberate the Netherlands, Belgium, and eventually crossed the Rhine into Germany itself. The Battle of Scheldt in the Netherlands and northern Belgium was fought to open up shipping routes to Antwerp in Belgium. And this was another difficult campaign for the HLI in late 1944. But they once again displayed intense courage and valor and emerged victorious along with allies from Britain and Poland. They ended up fighting the war in Germany itself when the end came on VE Day on May 8, 1945. The HLI returned home to Canada at the end of 1945, home to a grateful nation, home to their families, and home to try and live a good life. Many of the HLI soldiers did not come home, and I want to dedicate this episode to them. Those that did return home and the brave men and women from all around the what became Cambridge uh, who served. They truly are the greatest generation. The Women's Royal Canadian Naval Service, or RENs as they're informally known as, um, were modeled on the uh, Women's Royal Naval Service uh, of Great Britain, which had been active during the First World War and then revived in 1939. The Royal Canadian Navy was slow to create a women's service, only establishing uh, the Women's Royal Canadian Naval Service in July of 1942. 
nearly a year after the Canadian Women's Army Corps and the Canadian uh, Royal Canadian Air Force Women's Division. By the end of the war, however, nearly 7,000 women had served with uh, the uh, Women's Royal Canadian Naval Service in 39 different trades. The Bytown II, later renamed HMCS Conestoga, the Stone Frigate, was the Wren's Training Centre in Galt, Ontario, and became the first female-commanded Canadian commissioned ship in June 1943 when Lieutenant Commander Isabel McNeil was appointed commanding officer. That September, Commander Adelaide Sinclair became the first Canadian director, a position she held until disbandment. The Wrens uh, were disbanded in July of 1946, but revived in part of the Naval Reserve at the beginning of the Korean War. It was disbanded a second time in 1968, when the Royal Canadian Navy was folded into the, the Unified Canadian Forces. The Wrens have a deep connection to the Cambridge area. The HMCS Conestoga was located at the location that later became the Grandview School for Girls, just off Haspel Road near the South Division Police Station. They also spent time at the old Preston Springs Hotel as the women used the location as housing while training adults. The women played a valuable part in the war effort, and with time their story is getting more and more exposure. You can even see a statue uh, to the uh, to the Wrens in front of the Queen Square Library, um, informally called Jenny Wren. I wanted to take time to feature just a few of the veterans whose stories I've come across over the year. The first is Private Michael Borodeko of Preston. He was the son of Anthony and Anna Borodeko, and he enlisted in June of 1940, the first week that the HLI began mobilizing. mobilizing. He was wounded in action three times and received the military medal and was decorated by British General Montgomery himself. He was called the best friend uh, gunman in the unit. He was credited with um, wiping out six enemy positions and killing at least 20 enemies single-handedly. He survived the war and was a member of the Preston Legion until his death in 1998. Next, I'd like to mention two sets of brothers that fought in the war. Russell Dahmer and his brother John from Hespler enlisted in 1941 and 1943, respectively. Sadly, they were both killed in action in Italy, only two days apart, on May 24th and 26th, 1944, and are buried at the Casino War Cemetery in Italy. Finally, the last veterans I'd like to discuss are the Mosser brothers. Andrew and his twin brother, Robert, who, along with their other brother, um, Herbert, all served in the Second World War. Herbert was a doctor who served in the Army Medical Corps. Andrew and Robert were described as identical twins who did everything together, looked and sounded the same. They played sports at the local high school in Preston. Uh, They played sports like rugby and football. They were members of the Boy Scouts and early members of the Scout Band. The twin brothers joined the Royal Canadian Air Force as pilot officers. Sadly, both brothers were killed in action when the ship they were sailing uh, and across um, the Atlantic Ocean was sunk by a German U-boat on April 22, 1943. The brothers were just 19 years old. Mosser Drive is named in honor of them. These are just a couple of the thousands of stories of local veterans. I'm hoping to feature more of them in the future as just a small tribute to the amazing women and women that have served our area. So many have connections to the war, be it a relative who was a veteran or, in the case of families like mine, relatives who lived in Europe during the war. 
As I mentioned in the prologue of the Archives Guy podcast, I've been interested in the Second World War since I was a child. It comes from having grandparents who grew up in Belgium during the war. I love listening to stories of what it was like growing up during the one of the most harrowing times in history. My family comes from a city in Belgium called Turnhout. It's in the Flemish area, or Dutch area, in the northeastern part of the country, not far from the border with the Netherlands. In July of 2016, I had the privilege of visiting Normandy on my trip to Europe. I'll go into more detail about uh, this trip when I get into genealogy, as it was a trip to research my family history in part. For this episode, I will discuss, I'll discuss my experiences in France, specifically. In 2007, my family and I traveled to Hawaii, and I got a chance to visit Pearl Harbor. Now, that was a very moving and emotional experience. Um, there was nothing like being in Pearl Harbor and being in the middle of uh, the harbor, looking down at the uh, sunken USS Arizona, where you see every minute or so a little bit of oil coming up from the ship, even 75 years after it was sunk. However, Normandy was a whole another level, uh, simply due to uh, having more personal connections um, with the, it being a major Canadian theater of war. This was a bucket list item for me, to say the least. I ended up booking two different tours during my time there. The first day, I spent a full day trip to explore the American sectors of Normandy, Utah, and Omaha beaches. It actually began in an unexpected place, the German Cemetery in Normandy. This was special for me because I have German roots, and there are always two sides of any conflict, and it's important to learn about both. The German cemetery had a book of soldiers killed in action, and I happened to come across a couple of schmaltzes buried there, one of which was only 20 years old when he died. Possibly a distant cousin, as my family emigrated to Canada from Germany in the 1850s. From there, we toured a few villages, and then it was off to the American cemetery. Now, it's exactly how you'd pictured it. Very full of patriotism and grand displays and statues. Very busy, bustling cemetery. Now, I've watched Saving Private Brian and Band of Brothers multiple times. I do it every year. I love both, and it was cool to see some of the real-life spots connected uh, to these productions. I saw the graves of the Neelan brothers, who were the inspiration for Saving Private Ryan, as well as a memorial to the uh, 500 and, uh, 506 uh, Easy Company uh, soldiers who were killed. They were the unit featured in Band of Brothers. Um, even the grave of the son of President Theodore Roosevelt, uh, Theodore Roosevelt Jr., and even his son. Uh, it was incredible to see this all firsthand. After a day of sightseeing, I returned to my hotel in Caen and rested up for another uh, adventure the following day. My next day in Caen was spent split between exploring the historic city and then heading back to Bayou um, to tour Juno Beach uh, and uh, the Canadian Cemetery. Caen is the third largest city in Normandy and is slightly smaller than Cambridge, population-wise. It is home to the Chateau de Caen, a giant castle that dates back to the 1000s AD. It is one of the largest fortresses in Western Europe. It was home to William the Conqueror, the first Norman king of England, who was buried uh, at the Abbey of Saint-Étienne, the large uh, cathedral in Caen. The city has a large medieval fortification around it, and it was really awesome to explore uh, these places. I spent the morning that day walking around the oldest part of the city, visiting the cathedral where William the Conqueror is buried, and it, it was it was really really cool. Um, I then spent um, the afternoon or the next part of the morning uh, at the Memorial Memorial de Caen, 
which is a museum and war uh, memorial uh, commemorating World War II and the Battle of Caen. This was incredible. There was a ton of amazing exhibits, which included uniforms, flags, um, and details hist histories of how the battle for the city of Caen was fought. With this battle also um, included like our own island light infantry. Um, it was definitely worth checking out before I headed off to my uh, Canadian tour in Normandy. I spent the afternoon touring around the area where Canadians fought from D-Day and, and the following weeks. It's an area full of uh, mostly farmland and extremely beautiful. The beach that was the Canadian objective was Juneau Beach, a resort town before the war, and even now it is a resort town again. I saw beautiful beaches with family enjoying the warm summer, uh, summer weather, just like you would anywhere like in southern Ontario. It was, a it was strange to stand there and to think 72 years earlier, men died by the thousands in the same spot. Next, it was off to the Vene-sur-Mer um, uh, uh, Canadian War um, Cemetery to pay my respects. This was the most immaculately cared for cemetery I've ever seen. It was in pristine con condition. It was so peaceful and quiet. I was able to find more than a few graves of local soldiers, including some from the Highland Infantry. On the way back, um, we also uh, toured uh, the Juno Beach uh, Museum, as well as the uh, Abbey d'Ardin. This was a former monasterial abbey dating back to the 12th century, and it's now home to the uh, Institute for Contemporary Publishing Archives. It has a more infamous and sad history in that it was a location um, where 20 Canadian POWs were murdered by members of the 12th SS Panzer Division, commanded by Kurt Meyer. They were among more than 150 Canadian troops um, executed by the infamous German unit. Meyer himself would only serve five years in prison following his war crimes trial. This was one of the most moving parts of the tour as the abbey was so serene and peaceful and there was a memorial to the Canadian soldiers murdered. Overall, I highly recommend that if you ever get a chance to visit these places, you do. Every Canadian owes it to themselves to see where our ancestors fought and died to stop the horrors of Nazism. It was everything I expected and more. So that's just a small portion of local military history. I hope that you enjoyed learning about the 111th Battalion, the Highland Light Infantry, the Wrens, some of the individual stories about veterans, the Cenotaph, and even my trip to Europe and Normandy in 2016. As always, if you have any questions about this episode or any of the others so far, feel free to contact me at archivesguypodcast at gmail.com. As for what's next, I have a few ideas in the fire so far. I'm looking at my first video episode as I recently purchased a camera. And it will tie into the founding of Preston, as well as a cool tour uh, of a historic home in Preston. Stay tuned for that. Depending on how long it takes to produce this uh, episode, I may throw in some smaller episodes or two, as I'm still learning the whole art of vlogging, so please bear with me as I figure this out. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, as well as following the Facebook and Instagram pages. I hope this helps expand your knowledge of our local military history. Join me again next time as we continue to explore our story.